topics covered here are for conversational purposes only and do not constitute financial advice. Please contact Mulcane Co. to receive advice on all matters from one of our professionals. Welcome to Episode 3 of the FS360 Podcast. You're welcomed here by hosts Gavin Nash and Chris Mulcahy. Welcome, Chris. G'day, Gav. How are you going? Not too bad. We've had a very good uh, response to the first couple of podcasts. We've got a couple of clients and uh, uh, emailing in saying that they, uh, the podcast has got uh, relevant information for them and they've enjoyed listening to it. So that's a pat on the back for us, Chris. Yeah, it's great. No, it's good to get a bit of positive feedback. I'm sure that there's a lot out there bagging us as well. But <laughs> at the end of the day, we're having a crack. And uh, look, I think it's just important to be sharing this information and hopefully in a way that, um, yeah, we're sort of breaking it down a little bit too. So I think from the outset, if you had said, look, we're going to get to episode three and maybe even past that, you'd, you'd almost take that, Gav. Yeah, I think... Um the thing is people absorb information in all different ways. So the idea is some people will read emails, some people will you know, jump on a website and have a read, others will watch a video and some might listen to a podcast. So we're trying to cover all bases. Um, and talking about videos, um, we've got our video guru in with us today. Thane Turley's the Director of Financial Planning here at Mulcahy Co and he's going to be our special guest today. Welcome, Thane. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. No worries at all. So if anyone doesn't know what I'm talking about there, jump onto the social media um, channels, Mulcahy Co, which is Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram. Also onto the financial planning page on our website and you can have a listen, have a look at Thane, um, deliver some of his videos. They're very informative. No, Thank they you. are good. They're fantastic. And once again, look, there has been a lot of information sent out by the marketing team, which has been fantastic. So hopefully we're not inundating um, clients and other interested people too much, but it's just one of those times where we think the more information we can send out, the better, realistically. So, um, yeah, we're endeavouring to make sure that there's a fine line between too much and not enough, but hopefully, yeah, everyone's appreciating what we're sending out. I think it's one of those things, I'm, I'm in the marketing area here, so quite often clients will say to me, well, how many times should I be communicating to my clients? You know, is it once a week? Is it twice a week? Is it once a month? Um, via things like, you know, an email out or, or social media posts or whatever, but it's always relevant to the business and what, what your service you're offering or what products you're selling. But in this, as you say, in this situation, I think we've all been inundated with some info, but we're trying to make sure that our info has got that financial focus, which is what we're experts in. So we're trying to make sure that we've always got it pretty well um, down pat as to what we're delivering. So Yeah, and sometimes probably the challenge we've got as well is really there's six or seven businesses here. So we're all trying to communicate. So sometimes it seems like we're sending out a lot of info, but realistically, you know, it's just for each business unit. And as you say, Gav, like some people do consume data or information in a different way. So, um, yeah, hopefully the videos are doing that too. But I have always welcomed the feedback from clients too if there's topics that they want discussed. And I know I did receive a, a communication from a client last week that they particularly like another podcast on interest rates and um, I suppose where they're heading. So I might be able to do something on that too in the future. We're going to start with Chris. He's going to give us a bit of a coronavirus or stimulus packages update. Yeah, I just thought whilst uh, the crisis is on and the governments, federal and state, are still continuing to sort of roll out um, their response to the crisis, we should keep people up to date with what's going on. So now we have today sent out via email um, an up-to-date e-book. So it's about 40 pages long. So it covers off on everything. We feel like that the governments have probably now finished um, with what they're um, you know, looking to present, I suppose, in terms of the stimulus measures. So we put it all into one place so everyone can get access to that. So 
whether it's talking about the cash flow boost, whether it's talking about the job keeper side of things, that's all now in one area. So um, no doubt there'll be amendments and changes to that, but we feel that you know at this stage they've probably introduced everything that they're going to be talking about um, from that point of view. So we've put it all into one spot so people can get access to that. And that, um, that document, guys, is going to be up on our socials later today. Um, that's Thursday the 16th. But um, it's also got some of the f- our own information and our own, the way that we've interpreted everything, uh, but also there's some of the actual government fact sheets in there as well. So there's some really official government information in those 40 pages as well as our kind of recommendations or our thoughts on it. So. Yep, that's right. So probably we touched on the JobKeeper payment last week. It had just been announced. Uh, there's a lot more detail around it now. The legislation that sits behind it has now been introduced. Um, yeah, so the I guess the federal government have pretty much pushed that through Parliament pretty quickly. So as we always say, there's always the devil in, in the detail. The headline's great, you know, JobKeeper payment, $130 billion available to employers to pass on to their employees. But I guess we're starting to sort of go through that detail now and just see who is eligible. So... That's where we're at at the moment. Um, so just a bit of background. Obviously, it's there to try and keep employers and employees connected during this period so that when the crisis is over, um, you know, employers can re-engage with their employees pretty quickly and hit the ground running. So that's what it's all about. Basically, it'll be a $1,500, like a subsidy, paid per fortnight to each employer or eligible employer. Um, so, and... Basically, how that's all going to play out is that by April the 30th, we've got to have registered, okay, to access that first round of payments. So to be eligible, um, first of all, we're talking about an eligible uh, employee. So needed to be on the books with the employer as of the 1st of March. Uh, that'll include full-time, part-time, casuals that have been there for greater than 12 months and any stood-down employees as well. So need to be taking all that into account. The eligible employer is where there's a bit of a challenge, determining, uh, because that's based on turnover. So if turnover has reduced by 30%, they will be eligible. So there's a lot of issues around that, like in terms of how you actually calculate that. So I think where we've got to with that is that we're probably seeing that there's the businesses that have been severely affected. Or closed altogether. Closed and they'll have no problem whatsoever. Yep, so the hospitality, Hotels. tourism, those types of things. So mm-hmm. they'll have no issues whatsoever. So, But the challenge for those guys is that they needed to have kept employees on the books. Okay, so from a cash flow point of view, uh, they need to have paid or maintained their employees during this period. So, yeah, so there's a bit of a challenge around that cash flow-wise and we're working with uh, a lot of clients and businesses to work through that to make sure that I guess we can get the best of both worlds, that we can get access to the, that first round of the JobKeeper payment and, um, yeah, just make sure that I guess they are eligible and do get the uh, the payment from the uh, government. So so earlier on in that conversation, Chris, you mentioned even stood-down workers. So if you've already – your understanding, if you've already stood down a worker because, you know, your, your business is closed – can you put them back on the books now and do your application or and but you've just got to be able to pay them a little bit that's right some, you need some to of have their wage right the, through yep yep you need to have paid them the fifteen hundred dollars yep yep so per fortnight so in order to get it back see when yeah. did most cafes and that shut down were um, they forced to shut down I'm trying to think when two to three weeks ago was it sort of around that twelfth of March twelfth yeah. of March time frame yeah yep. so early to mid March 
Yeah, so the devil is in the detail. So it also applies to self-employed, so working through that as well. So just because you're not actually an employee, don't think you're not eligible. So there are some rules around that. Um, so I guess the main thing is we're working to get people or clients registered um, and then just make sure that, you know, when the time comes, we can access that first payment. But it becomes more of a cash flow issue, really, for these businesses to have paid. The tax office and government are giving some leeway with that in terms of when that payment's got to be made by. So there might have been some situations where the employer has stopped paying the employee, but they can do a catch-up payment. So then they're in the system for the job keeper payment. Okay, so again, a bit of as you say, you've got to have the cash to be able to do that. That's so, right. Yeah. So that's when you start thinking about those um, government back loans and things like that. But I don't think the banks are really prepared for that yet, or have the systems and processes in place to be handing out that money. And even today in the financial review, there was an article about the JobKeeper program. Just they're anticipating that over the course of the next few days and by as early as Monday, they're going to give some more direction around um, how this is all going to work. There just needs to be a bit more clarification and flexibility about how, how it's all going to play out and, yeah, particularly around that turnover. Because we've got situations where you might have, say, a business that, has changed since last year. So they've got a different cost structure, they've got a different, um, you know, overheads, uh, wages, etc. But because we're comparing turnover of this year to last year, it's not really relevant. Because yeah, so your question is to say, well, like for a business in that scenario, have they had a 30% reduction in turnover in, in the space of a month or is it over a 12-month period that hasn't been sort of clarified? Yeah, that's right. So there are periods of how you do compare it, but there will be circumstances where it's not relevant to compare because the, the business is different. Mm. Even farmers with drought. So there's, a bit of, there's been a fair bit of talk about that. So last year they were in drought, this year they're not, but their turnover still decreased or they're affected by the um, situation. So, yeah, there's a little bit to play out, but I think we're sort of breaking it down into the clients that are going to get it, no worries, because they have shut the doors. So getting those set up, up and running. And then the ones so that it's a bit of a grey area. And just to clarify too, this is obviously benefiting the employees though, isn't it? This isn't actually somewhat benefiting the employer. No, no. So once the money starts getting collected by the employer, that's going to be passed through to the employee. I found it interesting as well. I think even if employees were earning less than the $1,500, they're still entitled to the full $1,500. That's right, yep. So I think we touched on an example last week. Yeah, with Maca. So, and it was, and also the other way too, tells where if you've, if you've, you know, used to pay the person a thousand dollars and they're still doing some work for you, well, you can still pay them the thousand. You're just going to get subsidised seven fifty of that from the yeah, government. Yeah, yep. You still pay the two fifty on top. That's right. So I think so, that's the way to look at it. It's, it's uh, more of a subsidy, but there will be some that certainly have got a pay rise um, around, particularly those casual ones that have probably that have been working more than that twelve months for the same employer, that might have been only earning hundred dollars a week. All of a sudden, once they get in, into the system, be getting their seven hundred and fifty dollars a week. Yep. Which, to put it in context for people, is is about two hundred dollars more than the job seeker. So the dole, you know, the old yep. dole, yep. is at five fifty a week at the moment. So you know, it is yeah, a, yeah. it is significantly better for that for you to look into the job keeper if you're an employee. Yep. And so those employees too, they they will get that uh, COVID nineteen supplement payment as well on top of that. Um, I do forget off the top of my head though when when that starts or when that starts to come in, but. Yeah, I think that that'll be paid for another six months as well. That's the seven fifty one off. Is that the one, or is that? No, the there was the one offs of seven fifty, yep. but then there's also going to be a supplementary payment, a fortnightly payment of yes. five fifty, in yep. addition to the um, job seeker payment too. Yep. 
Yeah, so look, there's a fair bit of, uh, as I said, devil in the detail with this information. But, yeah, we're working through that. The main thing is when it first was announced, we put the expression of interest in for our clients and now it's just going through that registration process now. And whilst I did comment before to say that this obviously isn't benefiting the employer so much now, I suppose really the benefit for the employer is that hopefully when and hopefully it's not too far away, but when employers can get back to work and there's hopefully a bit of a V-shaped recovery that the employer's got all their employees on deck and can hit the, hit the ground running or get back into it from where they left off. And it's, So it's a way for the employer to reward those really good staff that have been with them for a long time and been really good at their job and, you know, they'd hate to lose them but they're being forced to lose them in a way. So it's an opportunity for the employer to hold on to them that way. Biggest message out of what Chris just said is that we've only got until April 30 to register if you want to be ready for the first payment. For the first So payment, you've got about right. 14 days from today. Yeah, so. that's right. So... Yeah, so we're going through that process now. Um, now, there will be some that don't qualify just yet, but it's a matter of assessing as each month goes by. See, yeah. businesses have already received some rebates of GST, was it? Yeah, so we're in the process of doing that now. So the, you know, the uh, lodging bass statements for the end of March quarter. So that cash flow boost one is now we're in the process of putting that through as well. So... There's some interesting uh, issues that are sort of coming up there in terms of self-employed people or people with their own businesses um, that receive a wage, just, you know, making sure that we're maximising the amount paid from the tax office there. Do you expect that with some of those refunds of GST that employers would be able to use that to then make those back payments to employees so that they could get the job keeper payment? Yeah, look, it will certainly be handy. Look, I suppose at the end of the day, the idea is from the tax office and government's point of view is to provide cash flow for businesses. So, yeah, so it will just form part of their work and capital. Part two of today's FS360 podcast, um, we've welcomed Thane Turley along. Thane's the Director of Financial Planning here at Mulcane Co., um, Thane's got quite a few clients that are um, in and around the COVID-19 situation pretty heavily um, to do a lot with the markets. Um, so I'll throw to Thane to maybe cover off on a couple of the main um, points and things that have happened over the last sort of month or so. With um, COVID-19 um, sort of, I suppose, come, come upon pretty quickly across the world. Um, so I think it's been the fastest correction in history uh, for equity markets in particular, so over the space of about a month. So broadly speaking, you had investment markets fall by around that 30% mark. Um, so you've had a rebound of about 25% from the bottom, so year to date. Um, there's obviously been a lot of volatility, like some days you've seen, you know, from where the market's opened up at to where it's closed, has been a variance of up to 16%. So it has been volatile times for those investors, Um so other than that, a lot of work really needs to be done before you get to these circumstances. So working with clients to work out ideal investment portfolios or strategies or anything like that. So at this point in time, we're just keeping that communication up to clients and letting them, uh, I suppose, be aware of what's happening and um, what's happening to investments and the likely outcome. So I suppose further to your point at the start of the show, Gav, uh, I think we've been doing that and been receiving some pos- positive feedback from clients that they're appreciating the emails and the videos and things like that that are going out. So, um, And as I mentioned to earlier, like if there's any clients out there that want us to cover off on any particular items or topics of discussion, then uh, by all means let us know to do so. Ah, thanks, Charles. It's 
I think we published a, a blog article on the website there a couple of better two weeks ago, and it was titled "Do I Stay or Do I Go?" You know, so that, I suppose that's the question a lot of people are asking themselves at the moment. If I've got shares, you know, is now the time to get rid of them? Is now the time to keep them? Is now the time to buy more? What are your comments there? Yeah, well, in a, a simple perspective or view, is uh, the whole art of investing is to buy low and sell high. So there's always two things with investing though. There's always people's emotional responses to how they deal with volatility and ups and downs. Um, but then there's also the factual side of things. So, um, and sometimes it is difficult for people to, um, I suppose, separate the two. But from a facts and figures point of view, well, you've had investment and uh, investments discounted by you know, up to 30%. Um, so it is a good opportunity to invest. Um, so as long as from an emotional point of view, people are going to be able to cope with the volatilities and the ups and downs that will come, um, that will continue on um, because I suppose just from a broadly speaking point of view, the governments have provided a lot of stimulus and Chris covered off on that before to help businesses which, um, you know, to carry on, so which also support equity markets but still some businesses are going to struggle a little bit more than less and we're still dealing with the coronavirus around the world and, some countries are dealing with it better than others, you know, be it obviously Italy, Spain, um, US, Australia, New Zealand, etc. So there is some divergence there. So how that how that will play out or or impact. But yeah, look, broadly speaking, like um, now is a good time to invest. There's not screaming value out there in terms of like, and we have been uh, monitoring that. We've been working closely with our research team to be reviewing clients' portfolios. Part of the information that we've been sending out is to keep clients informed of that and I suppose how we're seeing the, view, the world and what's going on. But, but yeah, other than that, with a 30% discount, if you could buy something at 30% cheaper than what you could two months ago, well, what well, would you do? Why wouldn't you do it? It's a bit like last week's conversation with Neil McCann. Like he said, you know, if you could lock away a 2% home loan, well, why wouldn't you? you yeah, know, that's right. Um, for, yeah. for five or ten years yeah. or whatever. So it's a bit the same sort of conversation. But hopefully clients are in the position where they can – maybe take advantage of that and buy low. What about my other question, um, Thane, is do people at different stages of life, you know, of the investment journey, so what what would you say to someone that's, you know, in their 30s versus someone that's ready to retire next year? Yeah, well, look, uh, I'm not getting any phone calls from that sort of demographic or that, that client base, but um, I suppose some of them out there will still be thinking about it, that's for sure. But really, as a 30 year old you know even probably up to 50 or plus like where you're not planning to retire within five years it's quite fine to have a growth allocation or what you would consider as a growth allocation where the majority of your assets would be in superannuation invested in you know shares or property um, because your ability to access that is uh, I, I suppose remote like the the government have obviously reduced some legislation to help with hardship for those that have um, you know, receiving the job seeker payments and that type of thing. So in these circumstances where they can access up to 10 grand this financial year and then 10 grand next financial year um, to help them sort of get through. But by large, like you're not intending to access superannuation until you're, um, I suppose for most people now, uh, 60 years of age. Um, so, yeah, so for those individuals, their portfolios or investment portfolios will be volatile and up and down and as I mentioned before investment markets have been volatile you know day-to-day -day swings have been quite high but it doesn't affect their ability to buy bread and milk and do that type of thing so 
um, stick with it. And I suppose that's why we sent out that marketing piece of should I stay or should I go um, into just, I suppose, try and highlight for the for, um, for people out there that, yeah, look, it's stick with it. It's fine. Um, no need to stress. No need to worry. Um, so the strategy's in place. If anyone's looking for those articles, we, we have posted quite a few for Thane in the last month uh, up on our news page on mulkay.com.au. So you can have a look. A couple of them had some really good graphs in there too, Tools about, you know, historically other downturns in the share market. So right back to, you know, 1900 and and, yep. and how long it took the market to, you know, recover. So yep. it's interesting to look at those because, you know, invariably it always comes back. Just going to take some time. Yeah, and that's, I suppose, the message that you're trying to provide to the clients as well and that's trying to separate the facts from the figures and the emotion side of things. So... I suppose we live in a world where we all want to prosper and grow and the reason why governments around the world aim for a 3% inflation band is because, well, people don't want to see their wealth go backwards and inevitably populations grow and people want to expand and people want to take on opportunities and there's always something new going on. That's why you see economies grow and equity markets and share markets and all that grow with it as well. So we will get through this. I know from talking to my... 90 year old neighbor like he remembers the time when he couldn't go to school because of polio and things like that so there has been periods of in history of events very similar and the world's been able to recover and get back on with life and you know chris might be able to touch on it with you know accounting particularly but i know from a financial planning perspective um you know we've got quite a few guys working from home now and i suppose we're having to learn new ways of doing things and that happens out of you know some bad scenarios like we're dealing with at the minute but yeah so i think there'll be a lot of i'm not sure if positive's the right thing to say but you know what i mean like changes yeah look we we all have to change and in some respects that might be for the better so yeah no it's certainly an interesting time but with the markets saying typically they're looking six to twelve months ahead so how do you think they're factoring in this likely recession or how they or is that just reflected in the prices now yeah well that's one of the key things that we've been working with our research team to determine like could there be another leg down or is it just going to be you know i suppose a v-shaped recovery once we get past this and i suppose a large part of that or the research of the information that we had been waiting on or looking at was the us given that they are the largest consumer in the world how are they going to be impacted because that would no doubt impact global growth around the world investment markets had been discounted pretty quickly by around that 30% mark. Um, you know, like all the um, central banks and the governments around the world, you've got to commend them on their efforts in terms of what they've done, like they've come to the fore in terms of providing stimulus, which is in times like this, this is what governments need to be doing and they're doing it. I think Australia's package is equivalent to about 16% of GDP. Uh, from an equity market point of view here in Australia, most corporates, large corporates, that are listed on the ASX, their balance sheets and that aren't too bad. It's really uh, what you're considering or looking at is earnings, so be it over the next three, six months, like how are their revenues and that going to be impacted to be able to, you know, I suppose maintain dividends and payouts, you know, distributions, that type of thing. From an equity market point of view, that's how they're sort of looking at it or viewing this at this point in time is that balance sheets are by and large fairly strong but been sort of waiting for a lot of the earnings. And some businesses, just because they don't know what they're dealing with, have been deferring their earnings guidance to provide a, an expectation of what their likely revenues are going to be over three, six months. But 
I suppose it also depends on how long this COVID-19 is going to carry on for to how much they're going to be impacted. But Yeah, it's sort of interesting listening to different commentators about the government's position too, how much debt that we're going to end up in. So, you know, there's talks of reaching a trillion dollars and things like that, but some commentators are saying, well, we should be borrowing as much as we can and throwing it at the economy to avoid the impact of this recession because I guess history has shown that once you're in recession, it takes a long time to come out of it. So by spending more now and then hopefully getting that V-shaped recovery, that'll ensure that we don't sort of go through too much pain. So it's a bit of a balancing act really, isn't it? I guess it's just really how much you spend now, where you put that money. I guess that's what the government's tried to do with the JobKeeper package, just trying to keep the employer and the employee relationship there so that when things do change, bang, we're off and running. So, yeah, it's an interesting one, but I guess interest rates are cheap, but at some stage they might go up and the debt does have to be repaid. But at the same time, uh, the pain of a recession or even depression um, can linger on for you know, a decade maybe. So I think that's what they're really trying to avoid. Yeah, it's definitely the first part of call that governments are like, well, like we just have to do everything that we can and to help now. And so that is with the stimulus packages that are doing, cutting interest rates, which you've seen around the world. And then let's worry about the debt problem after that. Okay, so um, yeah, that's very much an afterthought in terms of, okay, how do we pay that back? Um, but yeah, you'll have to pay it back at some point in time. Well, that's what the, um, the attempt will be with, you know, taxes and... Um, you know, reductions in spending and all that sort of stuff later on. But at this point in time, well, it's about, well, you've had a dramatic scenario to world growth, yeah. like not just individual sectors or that as well, but across the board. So it's like, well, we need to do everything that we can here and now. Yeah, and even the Treasurer said, look, we can't really look at paying back the debt just by increasing taxes or cutting spending because that can actually make things worse. So we've actually got to have policies in place to grow the the economy so that we keep growing so I guess our debt as a percentage of what we're worth is actually lower so it's early days and I guess they're dealing with the current issues before they get too carried away with what's going to happen post all of this so and to be honest you've dealt with a lot of that from the global financial crisis as well so that's the same thing that's happened like any time that you've seen interest rates try to be put up in the past I suppose share markets have been sold off or been concerned about, well, how does the economy continue to grow going forward? But, uh, you know, I suppose a marketing piece that I sent out yesterday, part of it was around that sort of comment is to say, well, um, maybe we just have to expect a little bit less. Yeah, but even the legislation on the JobKeeper package, I think it's uh, scheduled to finish on the 27th of September, but the Treasurer has got power to extend it through to the end of December if need be. So things haven't improved. He can just, you know, without having to go back to Parliament or anything like that, I think he can extend that through. It's yeah. all very, um, you know, even from a non-financial point of view, it's very positive. You know, it's it's we're in a dire situation, really. The whole world is, but um, you know, there seems to be ways out of it. There's there's light at the end of every tunnel you look at at the moment. Well, I think that's how you've got to think about. It. I know people are going Glass through a lot of full. Yeah, there's people going through a lot of pain, and there's still a lot of pain to be endured. But yeah, look from all levels of government. Um, yeah, look, we're all just trying to help each other at the end of the day, isn't it? It would be interesting just watching the news this morning, though. Like The, the comment was that um, with South Australian WA, I think they're almost eradicated COVID-19, um, and Australia is chasing that policy as well. They want to completely remove or deal with the COVID-19, whereas some other countries around the world are sort of not trying to er eradicate it because they don't believe that they can but probably live with it. 
um, or deal with it and I suppose keep it below that curve yeah. so that they can still treat yeah have the amount of lives lost yeah look I think the biggest threat or risk at the moment is kids getting schooled at home there's a few <laughs> parents out there risk after for... day one or two yeah it's, it's, um... is it a risk for parents sanity <laughs> well I think Alcohol consumption has gone up considerably. 70%, they say. So, well, us three here, we've all got out of it because we're in here doing the podcast in at the office. So, we've somehow got out of it. Well, thanks, uh, Thane. Um, It's interesting how it's all going to play out with markets, especially from an investment point of view for um, financial planning clients here at Mulcahy. Um, But any. Anyone out there looking at um, whether they should invest, you know, what they should do at the moment, do they sit on their hands, do they – I suppose the best thing to do is take some advice from your financial planner and um, we'll keep the communication up as much as we can to our clients here. Yeah, just to touch on that, as I have mentioned through this podcast is that we do work heavily with our clients to talk about, well, you know, the emotional responses when things like this happen but then also – and to work out ideal asset, asset allocations for clients – so depending on their timeframes of whether they are those young accumulators or getting closer to retirement or transition to retirement or in retirement. So there are different considerations that need to be taken into account to to uh, meet people's needs. Thane, probably one thing that's starting to get a bit of a few headlines is around the superannuation withdrawal. Um, yeah, access to cash and liquidity in superannuation funds. I think there's been over 600,000 individuals register their intention to potentially take money out of superannuation, which was as of last week. So since then, there's probably been a lot more. So, yeah, how do you think the market's going to cope with that? Uh, it obviously puts downward pressure. There's no doubt on on that. Um, so I suppose it probably hasn't hit yet um, in terms of clients selling down their investments to be able to do that. Um, but it will be interesting in terms of – I know that there was a question put to – Scott Morrison a couple of weeks ago whether he'd had any discussions with um, Superfund trustees about providing some assistance with with those guys because there are they are expecting that there will be a lot who will be trying to access that ten thousand dollars through financial hardship um, for those that are on the job seeker payment. Um, so, but yeah, so I'd expect that some of those super funds with large um, unlisted assets. Um, that obviously can't be sold easily or liquidated easily, are probably a little bit concerned about that. Um, you know, I suppose there are some, I suppose, super funds that are probably um, more prone to getting uh, clients accepting or requesting the 10000 Obviously, you have industry superannuation funds. So there's like um, Host Plus as an example, which is for the hospitality and tourism industry, uh, which we all know that they've obviously been significantly impacted so I think that they're probably one that are quite concerned about how many customers or clients will be requesting to access that $10,000 $10, through the financial hardship, be it this year and possibly next. Um, so, yeah, so it will be interesting. I haven't heard too much information about it, but yeah, some of those super funds do have large unlisted assets, infrastructure assets as well. So in terms of getting liquidity and yeah, I suppose depending on cash flow and cash reserves – how easily that will be. Could be a challenge. Yeah, because some of these assets might be property-type assets that rely on Typically, rent, yeah, rent, yep. rent returns yep. that have possibly been cut as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely, yep. So, um, yeah, they generally do, like it is property, 
you know, commercial properties and things like that, which are, which is what I refer to being unlisted in the sense that they can't – they're not sold on a, um, uh, a market as such, you know, uh, quickly or easily. It has to wait for a uh, over-the-counter over transaction where a buyer and a seller do a deal. Yep, so under this super early access scheme – um, individuals can access two lots of 10,000, can't they? So 10,000 this financial year and 10,000 next financial year. So in theory, within a month, you could have an extra $20,000. Yep, yep. Yep, on yep. Uh, both sides of, of the 30th of June. Yeah, I think it's like at this point in time, it's uh, for the first three months of the next financial year that you'd have to reg- re- register to get that second 10,000. But yep, it's through the MyGov app that you need to have done that. So that's where... Chris, you mentioned before that there had been something like 600,000 that had already registered for it. So that's how they'd sort of have that data. Really. Is, is one of the um, prerequisites I heard you say, Jacent, is it that you have to be on the job seeker payments to be able to access that 10,000 or do you have to – or can anyone apply for it? Yeah, so on or after the 1st of January 2020, you were made redundant. Your working hours were reduced by 20% or more or if you're a sole trader, your business was suspended – or there was a reduction in your turnover of 20% or more. All right. So there's a few different sort of rules around that that people can have a bit of a look at. Yep. And I think we have posted something like that about on the website too, so yep. people might be able to see those. Some more yeah. information on the news section, mulk.com.au. I know that from our team contacting superannuation funds, um, there does seem to be quite a backlog um, of requests that are getting through, so it has been a bit of a strain sort of to get some information, particularly from those industry super funds as well for clients or helping clients with that type of thing. So it has been interesting. So I think that, yeah, there are a lot of people out there that possibly trying to access that extra 10 grand. Clients have been asking <coughs> questions, particularly medical prof- uh, professionals, whether their insurance cover will cover them if they were to um, uh, contract the COVID-19 virus. Um, but we've been able to relieve that for a few medical professionals out there that, yeah, they're covered. So one thing with insurance cover, personal insurance cover is from uh, it's always guaranteed renewable. So once you've got the policy, they can't take it off you unless you stop paying it. Um, and you can, terms and conditions of that policy are set then. So, um, yeah, it, it, there's no exclusions on any policies about COVID-19. So people are covered from that point of view. Insurers have been considering that, so and they are taking taking it into account uh, when assessing new policies. But so Thane, I reckon, yeah, that's been great, very useful information once again. I reckon probably our key takeaways would be around just there's a lot of information out there. So you know, we turn on the news every day, all those morning shows, and it's all doom and gloom. Very um, much so, yes. Yeah. So I think the key thing is that we don't probably panic I suppose it's probably past that now but you know we've just really got to look at all the research and data out there the analysis have a chat to you guys just to be clear and comfortable with where we're at don't go probably making wholesale changes would that be a yeah correct yeah look for those individuals that are potentially out of work as you know as long as they've spoken to their bank about trying to get a reprieve on home loan repayments there is the ability to access the 10 grand from superannuation they've registered for the job seeker payment they're going to get the COVID-19 supplement payment um that yeah they should be fine like to get through yep so I guess that's the other takeaway is that there are there is a lot of assistance out there so whether it's 
through the stimulus measures such as, you know, the superannuation, the JobKeeper, I know that there are seemingly a lot of people falling through the cracks or certain sectors are, but I think the government are looking to um, look into those situations. But at least that superannuation is probably a bit of a fallback position that you can get your hands on potentially $20,000, assuming you've got $20,000 in superannuation. So, and the other thing is too, yeah, like, People like saying ourselves, we're like we're all here to help. So if there are, if you do have any concerns, because they are very trying times, and you're hearing all this doom and gloom, make sure that you reach out to us. Yeah, I just as you touched on before, it does obviously seem doom and gloom, particularly listening to um, you know your nightly news. And don't get me wrong, it's obviously uh, unique circumstances and trying times. Um, but other than that, with the assistance of ourselves and that helping clients, I think you can sort of um, guide a path through all of this. Well, thanks, uh, Thane. Thanks for your time today. Uh, it's been very informative for all clients out there from a financial perspective. So thanks for coming in. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Dills. Right, everyone, back to our final segment, which is preparing for recession. So I know we were just talking about doom and gloom with uh, Thane and we're sort of probably talking a bit of doom and gloom or being negative, but I think it's important that I think that's where the economy is heading. So um, the idea is that we prepare for that. We're coming up with tips each week. So last week we talked about, after our discussion with Neil, our um, finance broker was talking about getting finances in order and how important that is and looking at cash flows and just making sure you've got enough funding in place now, even though you may not need it, have it in place now and ask for that through your lender. Now, our second tip this week is probably down your alley, Gav. It's um, investing in client and customer relationships. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting one that um, quite, a lot of, uh, quite a lot of people in business would like to attract new clients. And that's obviously what marketing and advertising does for your business. You can introduce your business to a whole lot of new customers. Um, look, in these times, um, so far in the last four weeks, uh, we've certainly done more work with our clients to retain their current clients rather than be out there actively advertising and trying to get new clients through the door in the current financial climate. So, look, it's always – it's a lot cheaper for your business to hold on to a current client and potentially even turn them into a bigger client for you um, or a customer uh, rather than trying to get someone cold through the door at the start. So we've actually been helping a lot of our clients with their communications to their clients or their customers. So whether that be social media posts or uh, – emails out to their client base, that sort of thing, updates to their website, updates to their Google My Business page. So it's all those things that enable you to communicate with your customers. That's probably the road that marketing's taken in the last sort of four or five weeks. Um, purely down that road that – and it's proven time and time again that it is a lot cheaper for your business to retain a customer as a return customer than it is to get a cold customer through the door. And I think something we touched on in an earlier episode – I know we've only had three, but – must have been the first one. <laughs> um, we talked about that uh, businesses will have employees that have potentially got a bit of time on their hands. So this is a perfect opportunity to get them involved in, you know, whether it's assisting with, you know, tidying up the CRM, um, getting databases in order, look, looking at the website, reviewing that, just getting them to help out. Well, I know um, even our own account accountants here have been inundated with some clients who are thinking, well, look, I'm, I'm not do, spending a lot of time on core business at the moment, so I've got some spare time, so I'm catching up on all this uh, stuff I needed to give my accountant. So it could be a really good opportunity to look at your own business and say, well, what can I do now to get myself ready 
for when things uh, turn around or when my business back opens again or when I'm, I know I'm going to get so busy down the track that I don't have time to work on my website content or to clean up my customer database but so now's the time to do it. So I think it's a really good point um, and it's again it's a matter of looking at situations with the glass half full rather than woe is me and everyone's in a bit of a dire situation but how am I best going to be on the way out? the other side so and that's where marketing and getting some things in place with that can really help I've got one client at the moment getting me to work on a whole social media strategy that won't even start until they business back opens again so that's short videos uh, writing content getting it ready for the social media posts because they just want to be ready and they want to have a whole lot of stuff in the can as such ready to go so that we don't have to think about that when they get back open again Yep, so I think that's a yeah, fantastic tip. So tip number one was getting your finances in order. Tip number two, invest in client and customer relationships. Well, I think that about wraps it up, Gav. That's wraps it up for episode three. So if we're back next week, we're better than the average. Yep, we've made it. And thanks again for Thane Turley for coming along. Thanks, Thane. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks, fellas. Be well, everybody. See you next time.